In this season of Lent, we're on a journey with Jesus to the cross. Along the way, we'll be encountering Jesus in many ways, through prayer, fasting, giving, and the power of his word. The people seeking Jesus in the gospels were not that different from us. Each one coming to him to be transformed, to seek healing, restoration, or to find out what it means to be a disciple. Jesus changed the life of every person he met and encountering him will change you too. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask, for me, ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews came that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For these are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. 
God is spirit, and as worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There's an old story about a a mom who was busy preparing a meal in the kitchen. And while she was preparing the meal, her very young son was sitting, sitting very quietly at the table and he was drawing a picture. And he had been at it for a while, so his mom said, what is the picture that you're drawing? And he looked at her and he said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, nobody knows what God looks like, so how can you draw a picture of him? And the little boy replied, they'll know when I'm done with my picture. (laughs) Well, God is spirit. We don't think of God in those terms. But at the same time, at the same time, we know, we can know who God is and what he looks like in terms of his nature and his character. Because as we see in the scriptures in Romans 1, all that God has made, all that he has created, all that he has done, all that he is doing, reveals who he is, his nature and his character. And then we know from the words of Jesus himself that when we have seen Jesus, we have seen God the Father. We may know who God the Father is because we have seen Jesus. I love that. When I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I know when I see Jesus, I am seeing God. He is a perfect reflection of who God is and every decision he makes and everything that he says and how he responds to people. It's why I love the gospel so much because as I read the encounters of Jesus with people like you and me, what I see is how God sees me. What I see as I read this is how God wants me to live as his follower, as his disciple in this world. And so as I read these encounters, I try to live into them myself because I want to hear what God wants to say to me. I want to see what God wants me to see. I want to be transformed through these encounters as I encounter God through the Holy Spirit by reading his word. And so this morning, we're going to look at this remarkable story, this remarkable encounter that Jesus has with a woman who has no name in the scriptures. Now, God knows her name, but we don't see her name in the scriptures. She's called the woman at the well, but her story is extraordinary. The impact of her life is incredible. And we have so much that we could learn from this. We don't have eight or nine hours today, although I would love it. But in the time that we have, I'm going to share with you five of many things that we can glean from this encounter to see our own lives transformed, to see our own lives forever changed. And so here's the first thing that I want you to see, and I think it's extraordinary. We are to live, we are to live with an ever-present, 
awareness that the Lord may be leading you and me into a divine appointment. What if, what if God is actually at work in this world? Now, as Christians, we believe that from everything that the scriptures teach. But I don't know that we as Christians on a day-to-day basis have the sense that yes, indeed, God is involved in my life. Yes, indeed, the Lord is leading and guiding me. What if, what if God has divine appointments for you where he is going to transform the life of someone through the encounter that you have as you live into that encounter as Christ has called you to live. I wonder how much I miss in my life because I'm so busy running from thing to thing or I'm so preoccupied with my own life that I'm not thinking in terms of how God might be leading me, how God might be guiding me, how God might be wanting to use me. We read this and it's really extraordinary. We read, so Jesus left Judea And he went back once more to Galilee. And then it says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. Pay attention to that. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now I don't do this very often, but I am going to give you a map. Is this exciting or what? In all my years, I've never been able to use a pointer. They didn't tell me for a very long time that I had this capacity. I think they're afraid that I'd be shining it in people's eyes. Jesus is here in Jerusalem as we begin chapter 4. Now what has happened at the end of chapter 3 of the Gospel of John is that the conflict that Jesus is having with the religious leaders is ramping up. And Jesus, it's too soon. Jesus isn't going to be taken to the cross this soon. He has to prepare his disciples. He has much to do. And so Jesus says to his disciples, we are going to go north, back to Galilee. Now here's to Cana. Jesus is going to Cana. Now you can see that the most direct course is straight through Samaria. But a good religious Jew would not take that route. They would never take that route. What the religious people would do is they go east to the other side of the Jordan River up and then cross into Galilee. Or they would take the longer route this way and come up north. But usually they would go east to the, of the Jordan River and they would go north to Galilee. Now why is that? Because they considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds, they called them half-breeds, and they considered them to be people who had compromised the truth of God's word. Now, where does that come from? Well, it comes from all the way back to the reign of the son of Solomon, Reboam. Reboam became the king of the United Empire. That included all of this territory. But Rehoboam was not a wise leader. And the ten tribes to the north, they broke away. And they became Israel. And the southern kingdom here was Judea. So what happened in in all of this? 
Well, they became two nations where they are one nation united. Now they are two nations. The nation to the south, Judea, had a series of pretty good kings at first. But Israel had a succession of very evil kings who led the nation into rebellion against God. The Lord sent prophet after prophet after prophet to speak to the people, to call them back to himself, but they ignored him. And so the Lord finally brought discipline upon the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes there that encompassed primarily the land of Samaria. And what he did was this. He allowed the Assyrian army to come down and to conquer Israel. Now what the Assyrians did was they took many of the people, the Jews, out of that area that was called Israel, is now Samaria, took them out and put them around, spread them around in areas where they didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, so they would have no opportunity to rebel against Assyria. And then they took people from the east and they brought them into what was Israel is now Samaria. So you see the picture? They have Jews and Gentiles now living together in this area. The people who remained, the Jews that remained, rebelled against God by intermarrying. They married these Gentiles. And not only did they marry these Gentiles, which was forbidden by God, but what they did was they began to worship the false gods of the people that they married. And so what you have at the time of Jesus in Samaria is a mishmash of a religion. It's, yeah, Judaism, but it's been impacted and changed and transformed by the views and the religion of the world. So you can see that a good Jew would never step into Samaria. They were a rebellious people. In fact, in that day, if you had to step into Samaria, you would come to the edge of the land where you thought the edge of the land was, and before you step back into Judea or Galilee, they would kick the dust off their sandals because they would never want the dust of Samaria to pollute Judea or Galilee. Can you imagine? They also, they would never, if you were in Samaria and somebody offered you a drink, you would never drink from that cup because this was unclean because it had touched the lips of a Samaritan. So when you look at this, there is hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. But Jesus says, what did he say here? He said, he had to go through Samaria. Well, we know he didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have gone around Samaria. But he had to go through Samaria. So what is that about? There is a divine appointment that awaits him. A divine appointment of a life that he is going to transform. He is going to connect and have an encounter with the most unlikely person we could ever imagine. Jesus is going to go and impact the life of someone we would never expect him to connect with. You heard some of what happened in the passage that David read to us, but there's even more further on. And we're going to see how the, the we're going to see the impact of Jesus as he transforms the life 
of this broken woman. And we're going to see that through her life, God is going to call many others into his kingdom. And they're not just people that, any, that Jews would expect God to care about. This is very significant. And so here's the second thing I want you to see. And that is this. When you come to Jesus, you will find the God who is truthful, who is merciful, and who is gracious. When we come to Jesus, we find the God who is truthful. He, he speaks the truth to her. He doesn't hide the truth. He doesn't back away from the truth. He speaks the truth to her. And yet at the same time, he is merciful toward her. He is gracious to her. Friends, this is the God that I come to. He's the God of the scriptures. He is truthful. We heard a passage this morning, read about how the Lord comes and he, and he will confront us. He will speak to us where we allow the Lord to come and speak to our hearts and to challenge us. He does it because he loves us. And he does it for this woman because he loves this woman. And he wants her life to be free. And so Jesus comes and he's merciful and he's gracious and he's kind and he's honest. And he's honest. This is how we are to relate to the world. We are to be gracious. We are to be kind. We are to be merciful. And we are to be truthful. Sometimes you see people who, who like to be truthful and they use it as a hammer to beat people down. Jesus didn't do that. He did it as a way to draw people into the kingdom of God because he loved them. So what happens here? Well, he, his disciples, Jesus and his disciples had come to, the, to Jacob's well. And that was about halfway through Samaria, just outside of a small uh, town or village called Sychar. And Jesus stops at this well, and he sends his disciples on ahead of him. His disciples go on into probably Sychar, where they're to buy, buy provisions. They would have taken with them what they needed to draw water from a well. They would carry that with them on a journey because they would come to a well needing water and they would draw that water and quench their thirst. And so they just kept going. Jesus stopped to rest and then the disciples would come back. So Jesus, while he's there, it says that it's about noon. Well, about noon would be the hottest part of the day. It would be very, very unusual for someone to make the track from Sychar to come to Jacob's well to draw water in the heat of the day. The water jug, once it was full, would weigh about 40 pounds. So this woman in the heat of the day, and if you've never been, I think desert, in the heat of the day, she's come out to this well and she's going to draw water and carry this 40-pound water jug all the way back to her village, to her home. Why is she there? There are, there are wells that would be much closer. 
The women typically would do this early in the morning or very late in the afternoon when it was cooler. And when they did it, they would not do it alone. They would do it with other women because it became kind of a social time and they would help one another. But here's this woman who has come to Jacob's well, not the well she should have been using because of its distance. And she's come there alone in the heat of the day by herself. What's going on? Well, we know from the context of the passage that this is a woman who would have been considered immoral. She had been married five times, and now she is living with a man that is not her husband. And she is probably somewhat of a, a social pariah, which makes what happens after extraordinary. But listen to what we read here in verses 16 to 18 and verses 25 to 26. Jesus told her, she told, he told this woman, go call your husband and come back to me. Oh boy. Oh boy. He knows who this woman is. Go call your husband and then come back to me. And I love this. This is a remarkable person. This woman acknowledges, acknowledges to Jesus the reality of her life. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said, just said is quite true, she responded. Wow. What you have just said is quite true. That is the truth about my life. Do you know how hard it is to be honest about who we are? Most of us aren't honest with God. Most of us aren't honest about, uh, to ourselves. We hide because of the shame and stain of sin. We don't want to acknowledge the reality of our life. And then verse 25, later in the passage, Jesus says, the woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah called the Christ, which means both words mean the anointed one is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to, to you, I am he. I am the Messiah that you are waiting for. I am the one who knows all things. I know everything about you and I am speaking to you. Now, she would never expect this. In fact, earlier in the passage, what we see is she is shocked that Jesus is even talking to her. He says, woman, will you draw water for me? And she could see that he, does, he has nothing to draw water with because the disciples have taken it with them. And so she says, why are you a Jew speaking to me? She, she's expecting hatred. She's expecting that Jesus would reject her. She knows by his accent and his clothing that he is a Galilean, that he is a Jew. And so he, she does not expect as a woman that Jesus would speak to her because he is a man. She does not expect that Jesus, a Jew, would speak to her as a Samaritan. The woman would never expect that a Jewish rabbi who knows her story 
would speak to her, let alone the Messiah, the Christ of God. And yet the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human flesh, reaches out to this woman in the reality of her brokenness, in the reality of her life, and he says to her, woman, draw water for me. Woman, I know who you are. I know your life. And I'm breaking every social barrier because God loves you and wants you to be part of his, of his kingdom. There might be some of you hearing this today, whether online or here today. You need to hear that for your life. I want, to, want you to see this passage. When Jesus was being attacked by the religious leaders of Mark 2, Jesus responded to them. He said, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who are the sick? You and me. All of humanity is sick because of the stain of sin and what sin has done to us. As we have joined in sin, that rebellion against God, it has made us sick. Sick in our relationship with God. Sick within ourselves. Sick in our human relationships. It's those, there are no righteous apart from Jesus. Those who need a doctor are those who understand that they are sick. And that they have need. I am one of the sick. And it's because I understand that and know that about who I am. That I came before Jesus in the cross. And I said, Jesus, this is who I am. Come, come, transform my life. Come, make me into a new creation. Come, may I experience your forgiveness. Come, may I be transformed. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need the doctor. I know that I'm not healthy spiritually. I know that sin has wreaked havoc on my life and my relationships. I know that I need a savior. It is not the, I have not come to call the righteous of which there aren't any apart from Jesus. I have call, come to call sinners. You see, Jesus is extending love and mercy and grace while being fully honest. Earlier in the service, we confessed our sin. We all are sinners in need of grace. This is the God that I know because he's the God of the Bible. And beyond that, friends, hear this. We are now to model Jesus for the world. There should be nobody that we are unwilling to connect with, to extend the mercy and grace of God for. But even as Christians, we say to God, well, not that person, not that group of people. Of course you wouldn't want me to extend grace to them. Of course you wouldn't want them in the kingdom of God. There is nobody 
nobody in this world that God cannot reach. And you and I are the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus called to model the honesty, the truthfulness, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus Christ. But if we reject somebody because of their lifestyle, if we reject somebody because of their past, if we reject somebody because of what they believe, if we don't extend the mercy and compassion and honesty of Jesus, then we are not living as Jesus has called us to live. The church doesn't exist for the healthy. The church exists for the sick. And the sick are you and me and everybody who lives in this world. The third thing that I want you to see is something that I had never really paid attention to before. But it's so powerful. Beware of seeking the gifts of God and not the gift giver himself. Beware of being, of wanting the gifts that God can give to us as his children, but then having no interest in the gift giver himself. This is what happens in this encounter. The woman becomes enthralled with the conversation that she has with Jesus. She is moved by the conversation. And so Jesus says to her in verses 10 to 15, Jesus answered the woman, if you knew the gift of God. Now, what is the gift of God? The gift of God certainly is, is him. He's the gift of God. And then through him, we experience these marvelous gifts. But if you, says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, this is a metaphor. Living water the woman, this is what the woman would have heard. Fresh water that comes from a stream. Fresh water that is flowing. Fresh water that is cool, that has come from the mountains, that has come from the snowfall and is refreshing. Oh, I want, I want living water. Dead water is the kind of water that would come in a, uh, from a cistern. A cistern they would use as something they would create, kind of a, a bucket that would be very large and dug into the ground and it would collect water when it rained. Now, can you imagine what that water is like when the sun begins to hit it and it has nowhere to go? It's not flowing, it's just sitting there. That would be dead water. So she's hearing fresh, oh, you're offering me fresh water? Even the water in the well, although that well still exists today and the water still flows, the water at the top would probably be warmed by the environment. So she says, sir, the woman said, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? What is she thinking? She's thinking actual water. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about him. The living water that never, never runs dry. The living water that refreshes. The living water that meets our needs. And then she still isn't understanding. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Now she knows that. Because she's going to draw this 40 pound in, in, this 40, in this container, a 40-pound 
weight that she's going to carry back to her village in Sychar. And she has to do it day after day after day after day because the water runs out. And they've got to go get more. Listen, hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying everyone who drinks this water in this well are going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about himself as a living water. She's hearing physical water. She still doesn't get it because all she can think about is, I don't want to keep coming in the heat of the day by myself to carry this jug all this distance back to Sychar. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She still wasn't getting it. She still didn't understand. You see, she wanted the gift that Jesus could give her of water that would always last so she didn't have to do this every day. But she didn't understand that what he was talking about is, I am the living water. Come to me. You will never thirst again. What does he mean by that? He's saying that when we come to Jesus, he will quench our thirst. Now, he's not talking about literal water. He's talking about all the things that we seek after in our world. He's saying, you don't need those things. I am the living water that will quench your thirst. I am the living water that will meet your needs. Seek me, not my gifts. Pursue me, not my gifts. And what happens to us as Christians, we get so enamored with what Jesus can do in our life. Oh, Jesus, heal me. Oh, Jesus, bring strength. Oh, Jesus, bring comfort. All of that he does. But far more important than the gifts that he gives us is Jesus himself. Who is the living water? He wants us to pursue him, to seek him. He wants us to know him. He is the living water that will quench the thirst of our soul. Friends, you and I run all over the place trying to quench the thirst of our soul that longs for the things that the world offers. When Jesus says, forget that, just seek me. I will quench your thirst. I will give you everything that you need. Extraordinary. Some of us need to hear that today and need to be reminded day after day after day as the world woos us to itself away from the one who gives us gifts, but he is the gift himself. The fourth thing I want you to see is, is this. Tell your story. Tell your story of meeting God through faith in Jesus Christ to all the people that the Lord brings along the path of your life. Those are divine appointments. That person you see in the grocery store that we ignore, we just try to get through the line really fast, or the person that's, that's writing a check. Some of you don't know what a check is, but um, it, for you it's like pounding something in stone. But tell your story. So here's what happens. We didn't hear this read because there's, the passage is so long, but listen to what happens. Verses 28 to 30. Then leaving her water jar, now we don't know why she left her water jar. What did she go there for? Water. She leaves without the water and without her jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the promised one of God? Could this be the anointed one? Could this be the Christ that we've been waiting for? 
They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Now, I think this is extraordinary. This is a woman who would not have had a great reputation in the town, but she goes back to Sychar. She tells everybody, look what Jesus did for me. I met somebody, you've got to meet him. He told me everything I did and, and he doesn't know me. Listen to what we read as we read further, 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus, in him, because of the woman's testimony. They hadn't even met Jesus yet. But the power of the testimony transformed her. It was extraordinary. And I, I began to think, what was it? Well, I got to think that where there had been desperation, now there is hope. They see something different in her because already Jesus was transforming her. Where there was fear and hiding, now there is openness. Where there was dissatisfaction, now there is contentment. She was being transformed. They saw something different in her. And some, just because of what she shared, brought them to faith in Jesus. We read on and it says, Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Everybody who is a Christian has a story to tell. I grew up in the Jesus movement, and you really didn't have a story unless something miraculous happened at your conversion to Christ. That is not true. Every day in your walk with Jesus, you have a story to tell. Do you know your story? Are you sharing your story? Jesus has given you a story of walking with him, of living with him. Do you know that story? I want to challenge you to take some time today to, to think about how Christ has impacted your life. And will you tell that story to others? Will you tell that story to the next generation? That they may know the greatness and the power and the faithfulness and the mercy of Almighty God. Amazing. Amazing. And the final thing I want you to see is... The greatest contentment and joy come as we do the will of God. This is something that is counterintuitive for us. Why is it counterintuitive? Because we think, let's face it, that God's way of living and God's righteousness, eh, that's a little bit narrow. We don't like that so much. I want to kind of do my own thing. What we don't understand is we do our own thing because we think that's better. Doing our own thing actually re takes us to a place of bondage and slavery. Slavery and bondage to sin. But Jesus wants us to be free. Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus wants us to know him and all, and all that he represents and all that he is. The greatest commitment, uh, contentment and joy comes from following the will of God. Listen to what Jesus said. My food, said Jesus, 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Food. What does food do? Any of you like food? Man, do I like food. I love to eat. The pancake breakfast yesterday was amazing. And I, I ate beforehand because I'm thinking, man, I probably shouldn't eat a lot of pancakes and bacon. I could not get it in my mouth fast enough. It was so good. And you know what? We like food because it, bring, it satisfies us. It fills us. It makes us feel content in our tummy. You know what brings contentment? Do you know what brings joy? You know what brings happiness? Is living the life you were created to live. My will, my food, I'm sorry, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. I was challenged by that. I was challenged by that. Friends, I want to close. I want to close with this. Read an amazing story about a man who, who grew up. He didn't have any good male role models. His dad left when he was 12, and he was a cruel man. He was cruel. He said it was better for our family that he left. His grandfathers on both sides of the family were, were terrible. He said, I had, no, I had no good role models. And then when he was a sophomore in college, he accidentally walked into a, into a Christian gathering. He heard the gospel for the first time. He said, I had so many questions, but I just knew this was true, and I believed it. And then, as he became a believer, he began to wrestle with all of his questions and wrestled through those questions and saw the, the beauty and the harmony of the gospel. And then he writes this, years ago I visited a counselor hoping to piece together the complexities of my background, all the things I had gone through with growing up. After hearing parts of my story, the counselor said this, there is no explanation for you. In my professional opinion, someone with your background should be unemployable, divorced three times, abusive, an alcoholic, or some other kind of addict. The fact that you're none of these is a testimony to God's incredible grace. Amen? I shudder to think what I would be today without the grace of God. He is good. He is perfect. Let's pray. Father, as we hear the, this amazing encounter, we are challenged. We're reminded, God, of who you are. And Lord, it is my prayer that we would be responsible with what we have read in Scripture today. That we would take at least one thing and say, Lord, transform me. By your spirit, would you speak to the heart of every person who's here? What do they need to hear today? How do you want to change them? How do you want to set them free? As they make decisions. As they make decisions to allow their food to really be that which is doing the will of God. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.